right, good morning, Chapel Hill. Brought my water up here with me this morning because I'm battling that cold that everybody seems to have. But I assure you that you cannot catch it through the microphone and speakers, so you'll be all right. All right, in a book called Because of Bethlehem, Max Lucado wrote a letter from husbands to wives regarding the giving of Christmas gifts. This is what that letter said. Dear ladies, we know you mean well. We know you think you know best, but enough is enough. We have suffered in silence for too long. Having shared our pain with one another, we husbands hereby step out of the shadows and open our hearts. This year, as you shop for our Christmas gifts, please don't buy us what we need. We know we need to smell better and look nicer. We know you like us in warm pajamas and new underwear. But we do not know what to say when we open these gifts. How can you fake enthusiasm over house slippers? How can you look happy holding a nose hair trimmer? We've lied long enough. For the sake of integrity on Christmas morning, we offer this guidance. As you look at any potential gift, ask yourself these questions. Can he play with it? Does it swing, bounce, shuffle, cast, or roll? Find a trigger, grip, ripcord, or stick shift. Does it consume oil? Or dog food? Does it have a big screen and remote control? If it does, buy it. Doesn't matter that he already has one. This is no time to be practical. When considering an item of men's apparel, ask yourself, is it brown and green and rain resistant? You can't lose with any garment that is. Realizing that many women prefer to shop anywhere but the gun department, we offer these two questions. Does it make him look cute? Does it make him look like a hunk? If the clothing makes him look cute, drop it immediately. If it makes him look like a hunk, buy two. When all else fails, ask, can he eat it? Note the question is not, would you eat it? Or do other humans eat it? Or is it edible? Don't occupy yourself with trivialities. The question is, can he eat it? Anytime the answer is affirmative, consider yourself on safe ground. In closing, we extend this offer. If you will buy us what we want, we will do the same for you. And without revealing any details, we will tell you this. A large vacuum cleaner company has offered us a group discount. <laughs> and you thought we were insensitive. No need to thank us, your husbands. <laughs> All right, every year at this time, we stress over what to get the people that we love. What do you get for kids who have everything? For aging parents 
who don't need or want anything, for siblings that you really don't know well enough anymore to know what they'd want, for your kid's teacher or bus driver, for your spouse who won't give you any direction at all because he knows that you can't afford what he really wants, for yourself because, let's face it, no one's going to figure out what to get you. At the heart of all the gift-giving at Christmas, what we really want to focus on is what God gave us. Christmas is about the, the gift of Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. We celebrate the arrival of Jesus, the baby born in a stable in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. He's the reason for Christmas. Our generosity ought to grow out of the depth of our gratitude to God for what he gave us. Now, there is, there's no way for me to avoid being super cheesy right now as I lead us into the message this morning. I thought long and hard about how to avoid this, but I couldn't find a way. I want you to enter the coming week with something significant on your heart and mind, and I tried to get there without saying something like this, but I'm just going to say it anyways and trust that you'll understand. Here we go. In the midst of all the gift shopping and giving, what are you giving God for Christmas this year? There's just no way around that. The statement and the images that it brings up of us giving God some present, wrapping up some present for him are pretty cheesy. But there's something really meaningful in the message that it's sending. Of all the people in our lives, who should be at the top of our gift list? Well, how about the one who's been the most generous with us? How about the one that we love the most? How about the one who knows us best, who loves us perfectly, who is with us always, who forgives us freely, who never fails to see the very best about us, who offers us everything that he has to see us flourish in life? What are we offering him? What are we offering God this Christmas? We have the ability to be generous and loving because of the love and generosity that we've received from God. He planted his image in us. God is love and being created in his image means that we are love as well. And we have the opportunity before us to reflect that love back to him, back to God. And so let's reflect this morning and hopefully throughout the week ahead. We will love others well this week and for all the right reasons. We will honor those that we care about and even some that we don't through the giving of gifts. We will acknowledge and value and appreciate the people in our lives. And usually, I think, we don't even consider what they may have contributed or not contributed to our lives. We just give. But this morning, let's consider what God has contributed to our lives. And hopefully, this is going to help us see what we can offer him as a meaningful gift. First and foremost, God gave us Jesus. It's the heart of this Christmas season. Jesus is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. God saw our condition, and he responded lovingly to the mess that we'd created and in a loving and generous act, God the Son left heaven 
to rescue us, to ransom us, to set us free, to give us a new life. Prophecy was fulfilled. Isaiah foretold that a child would be born, a son would be given, and the government would be upon his shoulder, and his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and there would be no end to his government and to peace. And Jesus came, and we received God's gift to us, and that should be enough for us to know what to do, what to give God in return. But I want us to see even more and to develop an even deeper sense of gratitude as we're led into that response. <clears throat> so why did he come? And this truly ought to create some response in us. Why did Jesus come? We can come up with a pretty significant list on our own. We can see his reasons for walking the earth. He came to save us. He came to set things right. He came to conquer death, to reconcile us. But rather than just create our own list, which we could, let's listen to him for a few minutes. Why did Jesus come? Well, here's how he answered that question in his own words. In Matthew 9, 13, Jesus said that he came to call sinners to himself. In John 6, 38, Jesus said that he came to carry out his Father's will. In John 12, 46, Jesus said that he came as light into the darkness. In Luke 19, 10, he said that he came to seek and to save the lost. In John 10, 10, he said that he came to offer us abundant life. In Matthew 5, 17, he said that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. In John 17, 8, he said that he came to give us God's words. In Matthew 20, 28, he said that he came to serve us and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we could go on listening to Jesus talk about why he came to earth from heaven. His reasons were many. His, his mission was clear. His impact was eternal, and it is impossible to measure. But look specifically at your own life right now and answer that question Why did Jesus come to me? Why did Jesus come to you? Why did I receive personally? What did I receive personally? Because Jesus came to be with us. How did his mission impact me? Let me share some things specifically from my own reflection on that question this past week. I can't believe who I am now. Honestly, when I was in high school, when I looked ahead in my life, I saw nothing positive coming. Nothing. I was alone I was afraid. I saw very little value in myself, if any. I would have been quite content to go and hide away somewhere and live out my life by myself. But Jesus did amazing things for me. He showed me my worth in the sacrifice that he made for me. He showed me a new life, the abundant, full life that he came to offer. He showed me what that looked like for me. And as I surrendered to what he was offering me, he took over and nothing's ever been the same. Sometimes we take for granted the fact that Jesus not only accomplished incredible things while he was here, but he also accomplished something even more incredible by leaving us his spirit when he left. 
When he was here, there's no way that he could invest in every person who lived, even in those who were close to him and were blessed enough to interact with him personally, face to face. He could not give those people enough of himself, but then his spirit, the Holy Spirit arrived and suddenly we all, each one of us have Jesus with us 24-7. And that's taken on life and meaning for me as I've grown And I'm eternally grateful that Jesus came so that he could be with me at all times. I also have someone to look up to because Jesus came. Every single person that I've looked up to in life has let me down. Not because they're terrible people, just because we all fall short. Except Jesus, Jesus doesn't. And I can look up and look at his life and with confidence have somebody that I can look up to all the time. The things that I'm seeing in Jesus' life, if, if I take the time to really look, those things shape who I am and who I'm becoming. And that brings purpose to my life. It means a lot to me. Jesus showed me real forgiveness in the way that he forgave. He taught me about God's grace. He gave me new perspective on wisdom and discernment and, and what I should value. He, he taught me how to love people like my, life, my wife and my kids and my church and how to love God. He taught me how to pray. He showed me that, the, that narrow path that leads to life. He, he walked me from darkness into light. And that is not theology for me. That's my life, my personal life. I cannot imagine my life without Jesus. I am not who I was becoming because of Jesus, and he did that for me. He gave me the identity that I now have that's changed my life forever and made me far more content and given me the direction that I'm now following, and I can't get over how valuable he has been to me. So based on who Jesus is and what he means to me, what he means to you and why he came, what's my move? What's our move? Well, it's Christmas time and we have before us the amazing Christmas story and in it we can easily see what our move is. So let me show you what I mean by that. First of all, an angel, and I still can't wrap my head around this. I would really like to have an angel visit me. An angel visits a girl named Mary. He tells her that God has chosen her to give birth to the Messiah. This incredible young woman, momentarily questioning the impossibility of what he said, accepts this wonderful news that the angel shared with her. She responds with the very thing that we need to consider this morning. She worships God for what he's doing. She says in Luke 1, verse 46 and 47, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She gushes about how great God is. She says things about him that truly acknowledge his greatness. In words, she worships him. She magnifies him. She makes him bigger. She shines the spotlight on God. Well, also in the Christmas story, an angel made another visit, and this time to an old priest named Zechariah. He told Zechariah that his wife would have a baby and that they name him John, and that John was going to be filled with God's spirit and that he was going to turn many, many people towards God. Zechariah makes 
basically the same statement that Mary made about the impossible nature of this. And unlike Mary, and why is this, Zechariah gets punished for questioning the angel. He loses his ability to speak. When he's finally given that ability back after John was born, Zechariah opens his mouth and he does what Mary did. He worships. This is what we hear from him in Luke 1.68. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Zechariah raises God to the very top in his words and mind and heart. His response to the coming of Jesus Worship. But this doesn't end with the two of them. There's more of this in the Christmas story. Some angels are sent to a group of shepherds in the area surrounding Bethlehem. The shepherds' peace and quiet was absolutely demolished by the appearance of an angel in the sky. The angel lets them know that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. The angel is then joined by a whole bunch of other angels. And in response to this amazing event, Jesus being born, what do the angels do? In Luke 2.14, we see what happened. The angels praised God and said together, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. They worshipped. This week I saw something that I'd never seen before in this part of the story. It's more of a question than an observation. Why did the angels do this? Why did they worship and seemingly ignore what was going on nearby? Think about it. Just over the hill there in Bethlehem, the Son of God was being born in a stable among livestock and would be laid in a manger, a feed trough for animals. God the Son, the creator of the angels, coming into the world with nothing to comfort him or his mother, exposed to the elements, among the filth, but the angels are out putting on a show for some shepherds, not caring about the Messiah, taking care of his needs, relieving him from the discomfort. Well, the show that they were putting on was worship, God wanted to be worshipped for this. He didn't need their help. The manger and the stable were all part of his plan. He just wanted worship, and so the angels were sent to worship. Okay, one more example of our response, what to get God for Christmas. A while after Jesus was born, some magi, some wise men, set out on a quest to find him. They traveled over moor and mountain, field and fountain, following yonder star until they finally found Jesus. And then what did they do? Well, let's look to Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 for our clue. It says, And going into the house where Jesus was now staying, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now, did they also give him some impractical gifts that you'll never see on anyone's registry? Yes. But first, they worshipped him. They even fell down and worshipped him. These men of great status and knowledge and influence fell down on the floor and worshipped Jesus. Now, do you see the the not very well hidden theme in all this. 
God gets the glory in all of it. He's worshiped and praised. And even the shepherds, after the visit from the angels, they went and found Jesus. And what does it say about what they did when they left? They worshiped, they praised, glorified, worshiped God as they left Bethlehem after seeing Jesus there in the stable. Oh, come, all you faithful, joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Sing, choirs of angels, sing in exultation. Sing, all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. O come, let us adore him. Yes, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning, Jesus to thee, be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. I believe that this is what God wants from us this Christmas. I think he made these things be recorded for us for a reason. Mary worshiped. Zechariah worshipped, the angels worshipped, the wise men worshipped. The reason for their worship has never changed or diminished. Jesus came, the Messiah arrived, God with us, Emmanuel. And what's left then is our response. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. What does it mean for us to come and adore him? I'm well aware that the word worship has different meanings to different people. I'm not going to attempt to unpack all those meanings and address every type of person and, and what their take on worship might be. But this morning I'll leave you with three general principles regarding worship that we can see in the responses to Jesus that we've looked at this morning. In my prayer as I do this, is that every one of us leaves with a plan for how we're going to respond to the gift of the Christ child, Jesus. I hope this impacts the way that we enter the week ahead and celebrate Christmas. The first principle is simply to worship vocally. Worship vocally. Mary's response to the news that Jesus was gonna come through her was something that re that's referred to as Mary's song of praise. This is what she said. She may have sung it, but one way or another, she vocalized her worship. So did Zechariah. He spoke. He worshiped with his words. And this form of worship is very common for us. We've done it already today, this morning. We worship with our voices. We vocalize the acknowledgement of God's worth. I mean, we have the luxury of a team of volunteer musicians and singers who lead us into this worship experience. That is significant. You and I have the ability, the, the opportunity to worship vocally every Sunday morning and beyond. And that is a gift We also have the opportunity to worship with our words every moment of every day. Simply saying something to God about who he is, is worshiping. You can be driving in your car and see a sunrise that blows you away with its beauty and say to God out loud, you're amazing. 
Under any and all circumstances, no matter where we're at emotionally, mentally, or physically, we can vocalize our acknowledgement of God's worth. Just let it out. It is in you. Say, sing, shout, whisper, pray something that lets God know that you appreciate who he is and what he's given you in sending Jesus. Worship vocally. Second principle that I want to highlight with you is the principle of worshiping in community. In the Christmas story, the angels did this well. They came together and acknowledged what God was doing in sending Jesus. They glorified God together outside Bethlehem where a small group of shepherds could witness it. Again, this is something that we do here every week When we're together in a service on Sunday morning, we get to worship God together. We sing songs about who he is and what he's done, and God unites us in that. There is immense value in us lifting our voices to God together. He loves to hear it. But this is not limited to Sunday singing. Families reading the Bible and praying together is another way to worship in community. Sharing as a home group the ways in which you see God in your lives is worshiping in community. And that's why God encourages us not to give up meeting together. Worship happens in community. Those aha moments that happen in classes and Bible studies and wherever God's people are seeking him together are moments of worship. Worship in community. And thirdly, in response to the birth of Jesus, we can worship actively. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, We looked at the Magi and their response When they found Jesus, they fell down and worshiped him. They fell to the ground. There was a physical response to their encounter with the Messiah. And we see this throughout the Bible. Now don't panic. I'm not going to make you all fall down on the floor right now. But I do want to encourage you to think through what this means for you. Is there a place for you to respond to God's gift Physically, actively. Many of you do this already. It, it happens in corporate worship for some, and I'm thinking primarily of how some of us are moved to raise our hands when we're worshiping, but that's not what happens for all of us, and it's not a requirement. It's just a personal response. My response is simply that. It's my response. It doesn't have to be yours. So let me take this in a different direction as we wrap things up this morning. And um, guys, I want you to listen to this well, okay? I'm gonna challenge you guys this morning because I think this speaks directly to the identity of a man in God's eyes. I wanna challenge you to, to do something that maybe you've never done before or you're just not comfortable with but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it easy for you, okay? I'm going to challenge you to find a place at some point in the next few days here where you can just be alone. You can get away on your own. 
Maybe that's your garage. Maybe you're going to go in the garage in your man cave and shut the door as long as that isn't a distraction for you. Maybe it's just in your room, but I want you, I want you to find a place where you can be alone. And in the, that alone moment, I want you to picture yourself in a very specific place. I want you to picture yourself in the stable in Bethlehem. Just use your creativity in your mind. I want you to see where you're at. I want you to picture yourself by the manger in that stable in Bethlehem. And I want you to think about this, guys, because we, in a sense, and and I'm not going to take this a very long ways here, in a sense, guys, we worship on a regular basis. Our worship is dependent on a touchdown or a victory or a goal, something like that. We go nuts. We do a lot of crazy things. We have a lot of crazy responses to overpaid jocks who really aren't worth our worship. But think about all the things that we do. So this isn't really a stretch for us. But I'm going to encourage you to start on your own somewhere. And this applies to everyone. I'm not just saying this is only for the men that are here this morning. This, this could be for every one of us. This could be an essential piece of our Christmas experience. But I'm going to ask you to get alone. I'm going to ask you to find a place where you can just think solely on this. You clear everything else out and your mind is focused on the stable, the manger. And it's just you and you're picturing that in front of you. I'm going to ask you to simply respond physically. I want you to take a knee. You can Tebow it, that's fine. I want you to lower yourself. Because I want us to remember that this is God incarnate laid in the manger. He is your king. He is your creator. He is your judge. He deserves every ounce of respect and honor that we can muster up. So I'm going to ask you, dare you, I'll double dog dare you if I need to, in that moment by yourself, picturing the manger in front of you, to simply get down on your knees and to bow your head and just stay there. Understand something that you are You have come before the king. I want you to consider who you are before the king and who he is before you. If you want to go all the way down, if you want to just lay out on the floor, I have have an image that I use as my background on my computer quite frequently, and it's an image of a a Roman centurion um, face down on the ground expressing his humility, his submission, his surrender, his acknowledgement of the authority of the one who is over him. This, this is an act of worship. And I think for a lot of us, we miss that act because we just don't see that. We don't see us and God. We don't 
put ourselves in a place, even physically for some of us, where we need to, to be. We need to be on our knees. We need to lower ourselves. We need to bow our head. We need to express physically the honor and respect and glory that are due our Father who sent his Son for us. So I would encourage you to to try that sometime this week. Have a physical response to Christ in the manger. You might be surprised at what this does for you. Um, We need to be there. We need to do something physical. Church, it's, it's Christmas time. It's time to celebrate the gift that God sent us in Jesus. And the best way to celebrate that gift is to follow the examples that we've been given in the Christmas story. Worship. Worship vocally. Worship in community. Worship physically, actively. But worship. Worship Christ, the newborn king. Oh, come let us adore him. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up and, and they're going to lead us in a time of worship and song. We're going to worship vocally. We're going to worship together in community. And we're doing this simply in response. These songs are intended to acknowledge who God is, to lift him up, So I'd like us to end our time today with a couple of songs that are going to bring us into his presence and give us the opportunity to simply worship Christ, to worship God, to worship him for what he's done for us. So will you pray with me as they come and prepare? Father, I ask that you would help us this week, this Christmas season, Help us to see clearly what's really going on. Help us to see the reality of your love, of your compassion, the reality of you sending your son, of you coming in the form of your son, you coming, God with us, Emmanuel. Help us to see the love that's at the the very core of that act, the compassion the mercy, the grace that's there. That you didn't leave us alone. You didn't just let let the world run its course until we basically destroyed ourselves. You didn't leave us without hope. You didn't leave us in the darkness. Into that darkness came a great light. That light was Jesus Christ. And God, we acknowledge this morning your greatness. You are great in who you are. You are great in what you've done. You are great in sending us Jesus to deliver us, to redeem us, to ransom us. to express the deep and perfect love that you have for us. 
And this morning we acknowledge that. We acknowledge the gift that you've given us. And in response, we turn around and we worship you and we want to declare to you in whatever way we're led to do it, we want to declare to you how great you are. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for this amazing season where we can celebrate and in in the week ahead, help us to find that focus, to stay solely focused on what this season is about, on the gift of Jesus Christ. And to take every opportunity that's put before us to worship you for that gift. Father, we praise you for who you are. Great are you, Lord. And we pray this in the name of the one who came, the one you sent, our gift, Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.